everyone. Welcome back to the One Link Podcast. I am Brad, and I'm joined, as always, with by James. James, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm good. I, I'm in a closet, and you look like you're in a basement or something, so we're kind of... I'm in a we're, garage. We're doing That's our where... podcast from little <laughs> nooks all over the place. That's right. I'm in a garage. That's where all great, great things start. Great companies, okay. great bands... Everything That's starts right. in a garage. So, someday they'll be talking about it all started in a garage. So That's, that's exactly that's right. That's exactly right. So we're wrapping up our mobilization season that's been most of the fall. And so the other day I had Tyler just pull. I was just curious, like how how far did our staff travel this fall? Because we were we were moving a lot of places. And he came up and, and this is a rough estimate, but we went somewhere between twenty one thousand and twenty two thousand miles this fall so a lot of tracks i believe it i believe it i see a lot of our staff members wagging their tongues right now they're pretty (laughs) they're pretty worn out from the fall here but it's been really good yeah it has been good and so now we have apps and we're reading apps how how are our apps looking we're i think we're over the halfway point of reading them and processing them so we're uh, moving along we've got, got about 170 or so that have come in so hopefully we'll have some more uh in the next couple weeks and by christmas we should be all wrapped up with team formation and all that so that'll be exciting to see it will be and i think you told me on november 1st our apps were up like the amount of people that had november 1st being our normal first deadline that our i don't know if it was our percentage of apps or our number submitted was up over last year yeah yeah that's right we'll have to see there's a lot that are later deadlines, you know, mid-November or December 1st. So we'll see how those come through. Gotcha. Well, hopefully, hopefully all those miles are converting into more applications and more labor sent to the harvest, the international harvest. Yeah. Amen. Well, we're excited today. We have a guest with us. Uh, We're talking about missions in the church. So a lot of our alums, there's a lot of people connected with us. You're not always you're not always in college. College is this wonderful time to go on a one link trip, but you're not always there. So, what you get in your church, you still want to be involved in missions. What does missions look like? What's a good way to do missions as a church? Maybe what's a bad way to do missions as a church? And so, I invited on a friend of mine named Kirk, and Kirk uh, was a mission pastor in Oklahoma. I'll actually let him say, but for years, 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 did some pretty awesome stuff. Started out. Maybe maybe didn't always start out at the very best place. I'll let him share his story, but he's been been a great mentor and influence in my life, and a promoter of missions, and was a supporter of us when we were overseas. Always inviting us to participate with things with his church. So, Kirk, welcome to the One Link Podcast. Thank you, James and Brad. Good to see you. Yeah, it's great to be with us. Give our audience just a little history about total years, all those things I just rambled on, but didn't know anything specific about. Uh, yeah, I served in a church for 25 years as the missions pastor, and it was unexpected, actually. I had made application with uh, IMB. Uh, my wife and I had kids that were approaching teenage years, however, and so uh, my wife has a lot more discernment than me, and she just felt like maybe this isn't the best time, the best way to do this. So I was pretty devastated, actually. Uh, I got some counsel from uh, I knew two missionaries at the time, <laughs> not very many. <laughs> and so I got counsel from one, and he said, uh, if, you're not, if your wife's not ready to go, that's a red flag. Just flag. stay put 
in the states. Uh, you can mobilize, you can plant ethnic churches, you can work with refugees, immigrants, international students. And so short story, basically, that's what happened for 25 years. And I'm mm. grateful for the journey that God led us on. It is excellent. And I know, yeah, I didn't mention in there, you also had a an international church that was our international congregation, I guess, that was inside inside your church as well. Yes? Yes, that's right. We we were able to plant over the years, uh, by God's grace, uh, six ethnic churches over those 25 years. And one of them was an international church that was primarily uh, students, English speaking. Uh, we it certainly inserted other languages, heart languages in there, but uh, it was primarily English. So as you as you look back on your time as a missions pastor, what are uh, let's let's what are some of the lessons learned? If you if you looked back and say, well, these are some of the things I do differently. What would those be? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I try to forget the the bad <laughs> and the ugly things, so I have to have to recall the memory here. But mm-hmm. several things, I think, James. Early on, after I started, Romania had just opened up, so this was uh, 1991 when I began uh, ministry in the church, and so at the time, they felt like some of the we were partnering with a, uh, a church in Romania, and they felt like uh, building some church buildings would be a good thing. We did that, built a very nice church building in one city, but it was not a good thing because it was too nice, it was too big, and as winter came, they had difficulty paying the, ga- the gas bill. So mm. we really did not think about their self-sustainability, actually, uh, with what we did. It was important for them because at the time they they didn't want to be identified as a cult, like meeting in a home or someplace like that. So felt like the building was would be good, but but they really had too grand of a plan. Basically, they had the plan. We took a construction team and did that. So that was one of the things early on that was I think was a mistake, not thinking about the field sustainability. Mm-hmm. If you could jump back in that situation, and they're like how would you do it differently? Because helping them would still be like a great thing to do. What what would you different do differently to make it, to turn that from a, maybe not the most effective into a, a much better thing? Uh, I think we would have not built such a grand building. You know, we, we would have just uh, certainly listened to them because our philosophy always was the field drives the, the need and, and what mm-hmm. we do uh, instead of just imposing our, our thoughts on them. But I think we certainly could have collaborated and say, wow, this is uh, this is pretty uh, massive building here. There was so much response in Romania right after the uh, the Berlin Wall fell and the curtain fell. So they just felt like that they were going to have a, you know, a, a crowded building and could pay for it and all that. But I think we could have given them perhaps some counsel that uh, let's let's build something a little more modest, you know. Have a couple mm-hmm. of services, have three services, something like that. So that that definitely was one mistake early on. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. How did you keep moving forward? Like, I guess maybe walk me through the journey at Northwest. Because ultimately, I definitely want to get to where you, in the end, you adopted a, a, a city. And that's pretty pretty high end, definitely on the good end of things. Maybe walk, yeah, walk me through some of the things that you went through to get before you got to there. Sure. And we always had the philosophy that really the partnerships really sprung out of relationships. And even in Romania, 
early on, there was a student at OU from Romania when it was certainly still a communist country. And he began attending our church and he told uh, the pastor and others, he said, if Romania ever opens up, I'm going to lead the way and we're going back there. We're going <laughs> to preach the gospel, make disciples. And so that's exactly what happened. It was through him, a student, former student. He was an engineer by this time mm-hmm. uh, in Oklahoma City. And uh, he was the connector uh, between a good, solid church in the capital city that was looking to plant churches more in some of the rural areas. So after that, we had a partnership with with a missionary in Guatemala. That was a, a very good, fruitful partnership. Then we had, and that, that missionary had come out of our church, come out of Northwest, actually. And then the next partnership was related to international students. A lot of Taiwanese students at the time, around 2000, year 2000, were at Oklahoma City University. And there was a missionary working with students and church planting in Taipei, Taiwan. And so realized that, oh, wow, there's a lot of connection here. So that was the next partnership. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we had several like that. The next one was in Bosnia through a former church member at Northwest. So these were partnership, really missions that we would go on, you know, several years at a time, multiple years, kind of sustained partnerships, not just a one-off. Uh, and that was most effective, I think. Uh, 2004, a real turning point happened in our in our ministry. My wife and I took perspectives finally. Uh, we wanted to take it before, uh, but we never really had time or made time until 2004. We took it and we realized, hey, we can do more. And so after that experience, uh, we had a real desire to adopt an unreached people group. We okay. had begun going to let me let me I want you to go sure. back there, but what was it about the perspectives class? Because I've heard that from a couple of different people so that that was a real turning point in their life. And I'm like the previous Kurt Goss. I've always wanted to, but I've never taken that class yet. What was it about perspectives that made that that really changed the way you thought about missions? I think it uh, really just opened your eyes to to God's purpose from the beginning. You know, that he has blessed uh, his people uh, to be a blessing to the nations, to worship him. He's gathering worshipers from every tribe, tongue, nation, people. And so I knew that. I mean, I was already a mission pastor 13 years, but I wish that I'd had it earlier because it really did open my eyes to some some other things in strategically thinking. The different perspectives, certainly uh, biblical perspective, historical pr- perspective, cultural and strategic. Those are the four. And so I think we realized, hey, we can even be more strategic. We have people who have experience uh, now in short-term missions, longer-term missions, all of that. And so we really took on a more strategic approach. That really led to the the local church planting cross-culturally because mission is not just about your location, but it's about lifestyle and lordship of making disciples wherever you are among whoever God has placed you. And our church had been changing, uh, that the ethnic diversity around our church had been changing. We realized, hey, we need to plant churches. These churches in heart language, we were committed to that as well. Uh, so we learned quite a bit in that. The adoption uh, of a city, we just said, hey, w- we could be the missionary in a city where there is no missionaries. That was difficult. It was probably the hardest thing I did. Uh, but also one of the most rewarding things that we did as a church as well. So you can ask me anything else about that you want. 
Yeah, just listening to you, Kirk, it's like a brother from another mother here. I mean, we just the the things you're saying so resonate with what we're about at one link, you know, building partnerships, building relationship, unreached peoples. It seems like a lot of your process was shifting from a what would make a good trip or a good experience to what would be a long-term investment. Is that accurate? Kind of Absolutely. if you would if you would say what the shift was from those early building the the church in Romania days, that is that it? Uh, yes, that's accurate, Brad. It was a, a shift to how can we be most effective at helping the field, basically uh, the needs on the field. And you know, short term trips can give a good push. Some missionaries say, "Well, you know, it's it's kind of too much work. I don't I don't want to mess with it. You know that kind of thing." But the type things that we would try to do would be give missionaries connection with new new relationships, things like that, evangelism, discipleship with translators. You know, we always had to have that. We were in a different culture usually, although the student work in Taiwan was excellent because a lot of them spoke English. You know, So definitely that was our strategy to help the field as much as we could uh, move the ball forward, uh, move the gospel forward. Yeah, I think that's another thing you're saying that's really resonating is a field first mentality rather than, hey, we're such and such church and we've got this agenda and we'd like to do this when we go overseas. That To me, that's so key to, to what you're talking about. Yeah, it's very important. I think, you know, we have to go as servants. Hey, we want to serve your needs. We want to help you. And that's why we're there. You know, not our agenda, but uh, their their kingdom agenda for sure. So I could I could speak to the city that we adopted. We wanted to adopt a, peop- a people group, as I mentioned, and we got some had some good consulting with IMB and, and others even. And they said, you know, your church really doesn't have the farmers <laughs> that are needed for this people group <laughs> that you're thinking about adopting. <laughs> you have educators, uh, you have business people. And they said, I think you should adopt a city. We, you should adopt a city. Here's a list of 15. And I said, we're not interested in a city. We want a people group, you know, I guess perspectives had brainwashed me. You know, I was, I was ready to do the people group thing, but, but uh, I looked at the list and one city particularly just jumped off the page. It's in East Asia. It sounded like Oklahoma city in East Asia. Go, Oh my goodness. And so we ended up taking a vision trip there and saying, yes, we're going to uh, adopt the city. We tried to have business connections be our platform. Uh, they kicked us out after about four or five days off of the business track anyway. They said, uh, you're spies. You're trying to steal our oil and gas secrets. We had an oil and gas expert with us. And he said, uh, actually, we've been using this technology for about 20 years. You know, so <laughs> it was rather funny. We said, OK, now what are we going to do? So we looked at each other and said, well, let's go to the university. So we did. And then we found a real niche there. And we placed uh, over the next, well, with two cities, we ended up adopting ended up adopting a second city. With the two cities, we placed 30 teachers there long term over the course of uh, about 10 years. Wow. So that really was the niche. And uh, it was it, it was exciting time, difficult times uh, mm-hmm. often, but also very rewarding times. Yeah. How did you, I mean, you had some steam already behind you with, with the stuff, but how did you, how'd you go about getting enough resources? Cause I don't, I don't know how big was your church at the time? Was it 
500, 600? About or? five. Yeah, about 500. Yeah. yeah so how did really. how did you go about getting enough resources to send 30 people? Because you And you'd send them for a couple of years too, yeah? Uh, yeah, they had to commit for at least one year. So, you know, it was kind of a midterm thing. It, that's not super long, but some stayed seven, you know. But the resources were in the harvest. The, the university hired them, you mm-hmm. know, as teachers, professional teachers. We we had a, an educator in our church, a, a, a UCO professor that formed a formed a 501c3, and so obviously the church couldn't do it. But it was a it was an education company to place teachers in Asia, mm-hmm. and so we had a legit website and all that stuff. They checked it out too, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so uh, it was good, and so basically the universities paid for paid for our workers to be on the field. Mm-hmm. We we were church with not really a lot of resources. Uh, it sometimes appeared that we had, but we really didn't. So like our volunteers had to pay their own trips. I paid my own trip most of the time. Sometimes the, the church would help. So it was it was really a personal thing, a personal commitment, you know, to go mm-hmm. and pay for your trip. The uh, the teachers though they were they were paid by the universities, which was really a blessing. Mm-hmm. And pay but we made was, mistakes in terms of the demographics of who you who kind of win on these uh, one plus year assignments. Who was your most fertile recruiting ground? Is this you know recent college grads or is this uh, retirees? Both those ends of the spectrum. The middle agers uh, <laughs> didn't have many of those with families go. But uh, our first team, it was pretty funny. The first team that we sent, we sent a team of four, and uh, it was two students who had absolutely just graduated from OU and then two older retired teachers. <laughs> so there was a lot of cultural adjustment to be made, uh, certainly with uh, in, in the East Asian culture, but also on the team uh, because of different perspectives. And so that we, we made a big mistake uh, with that first team. There was a, a young couple, married couple, that were going to be team leaders. They were going to go. There were going to be six teachers in the city. They decided they better learn the language first. So they they actually located in a city two hours away. Mm-hmm. But they really could not manage that team two hours away. It was too difficult. There were just too many issues. And so that was a mistake that we made. The next team leader that we got was on the actually in the city, local, all of that. And uh, it was a better situation for sure. What about, tell me this, like, you know, like the IMB had a big presence over there. Like, why did they need a church to come adopt a city? Why couldn't they send some other people? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so they just didn't have enough, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people to get to these smaller cities. And in uh, East Asia, the small city that we adopted first was 800,000, small city, you know, by mm-hmm. comparison to some of the others. And so that's why they had a list that, Really, that particular city jumped off the page. Our teachers were very uh, bold. They were very effective there of reaching people, making disciples. Some churches were planted. We ended up, we were partnering with some, some IMB people who were the two, two hours away. And they, they really wanted to see their ministry extend out to the West further. And so that's why we were out there. And then actually, they ended up uh, sometimes, you know, big organizations, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. So they ended up placing a person there short term 
but he was very helpful for our team leader. And I think our team leader with the, the workers that we had there as teachers were very helpful, a good resource for them as well. But back to your question, Brad, about retirees and, and new college graduates. Though, also, those were really our, our primary volunteers over the years, not just in something as extensive as adopting a city, but even the projects. And there was great fruit from that. One, I'll give you just two brief examples. Uh, our college ministry began having some go with Focus International, your uh, same organization, different name. And boy, they caught on fire. And some of the college, really the DNA of the college ministry changed. And it wasn't a huge ministry. Uh, it wasn't a huge ministry built on pizza. Uh, in dating, it was a smaller ministry, but it was focused on the Great Commission, which was mm -hmm. awesome. So we probably had about 20 in that college ministry. And I would bet, uh, I, I could probably start naming names, I would bet probably 10 to 12 of them ended up serving on the mission field some, uh, wow. to, you know, some degree, as far as not just short term, but at least a year or more. Uh, so it really changed the DNA of that group. And what it did then, it also attracted people to that group that had the mm -hmm. same heart. Mm -hmm. And there's still people on the field today, some working with Tibetans. Uh, wow. Some in, uh, they were in um, East Asia, a, a big country that they got the boot out of. Now they're in another country that's difficult, <laughs> Myanmar. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it was incredible. Mm -hmm. But then on the other end, some retirees locally, were available to work with like international students, help them learn English, you know, uh, help them go to the bank, run around, learn the culture, all of that. And they were just, they befriended these students. And some of them were old uh, Korean War guys, and mm. they were just excellent. And, and God used them in great ways to, to really build an international student ministry uh, at Northwest, which was really some of the bread and butter of what we did locally, uh, as far as mission goes, crossing cultures locally, uh, as well as globally, globally, it led to a lot of global work as well. <laughs> so those two ends of the spectrum, super valuable. Well, I, I didn't know the connection to us, so I'm, I'm glad we could have a, a part in that. Yeah, I, I, interesting how you, you were saying, you know, you had about 20 students, but you know, what an impact from that small group. I think just as we're at the tail end of this mobilization season, I'm realizing it's not the size of the ministry, it's the heart that they have for the Great Commission. I mean, we've worked with, there's some of the ministries we work with that are not big numerically. I mean, they, you know, they've got kind of the numbers you're talking about, but they'll send a, a whole team to us. It's like a quarter of their students, you know, come to serve. And then, I mean, we're just this morning, we're talking with a, one that has hundreds and they just said, yeah, nobody was really interested this year. And so you just, you know, I, I don't know all of the factors. I'm sure there's, there's plenty, but just seems like it's the heart and the culture that's being developed that makes such a difference. Right. And I would say too, to those listeners out there who are in a church that you're saying, Hey, you know, my church doesn't have the, the fire for missions, even in, in our church at the time at kind of our optimum uh, size. We had a lot, of, a lot of diversity in size over the years that I was there. But uh, out of the 500, literally, I would say we had 10 to 20 that made it happen. You know, these college students were a big part of that. Uh, these retirees were a big part of that. 
sometimes it gave the impression that, oh, the whole church is involved, you know, and we want them to be. We want to give them a lot of on-ramps, such as prayer, such as hosting an international student, such as helping with ESL, just, you know, a conversational class, things like that. And I think that that's important. But I think that also if uh, there is just a small core uh, and that small core listener may be one like you or your your family, go to the pastor and say, hey, I've got a I have a heart for the nations and I can be your mission go to person. Pastors have so much stuff that you've got to deal with. And unfortunately, the, the nations and making going and making disciples of all nations kind of gets pushed, pushed to the back burner burner. But if uh, they have a person that says, Hey, I'll own that. And you can lean in on, and that pastor uh, or staff person can lean in on them. uh, Then you can, you can really make a lot of progress. We had that with international student ministry at first, when I came to Northwest, I wasn't even thinking about really international students. And so one of my tag ons as mission pastor, well, we have this older lady that started this international student Bible study. Could you oversee her? She's a loose cannon. <laughs> and and she was. She was a fireball. man. <laughs> and so uh, I said, OK, I didn't even know what that meant. But nobody could really oversee or control her because of her passion for these international students. But she owned that, you know, I mean, I, she she brought drug me along into it. And then it became my passion. You know, it was it's always more caught than taught. And uh, whether it's going on a mission trip or locally or whatever. So I think that's uh, one important thing, uh, especially in smaller churches. Mm-hmm. Just go talk with the pastor and say, hey, I want to own this. I've got this burning desire <laughs> Uh, in my heart that I've had since college. Now I'm 40 years old and, uh, you know, uh, the flame is lit again. What can I do to help you? How can I serve you? I wanted to follow up on that question because, you know, in my heart, I am a, I'm a small town country boy and I'm like, I'm not even a small town. I'm like in the, in the country outside the small town, you know? So if you're in a, in a small church, all of a sudden, let's say God drops you. He's like, he's like, Kurt, you know, (laughs) head out to the panhandle of Oklahoma, you know, and you get dropped in a, church of a hundred people, you still have your, your fire and your passion, all your experience. How, how would you begin? What would you have the small church do? Cause sometimes I think it gets pushed off, especially in our denominations. Like, well, yeah, like give to the cooperative program and that's your part. Maybe do some prayer. How could a small church, what would you do in a small church to be get started? Well, I think uh, it's a good example. You said the panhandle of Oklahoma, uh, Guyman, Oklahoma, small town, 12,000, maybe 15. I don't know the demographic exactly on that. They have meat packing out there in Guymon, and they have brought in refugees and immigrants from globally. It's incredible. In the school system, there are 37 languages or dialects spoken in, in Guymon, Oklahoma. And unfortunately, uh, some in the church don't even see these people. They're invisible to them. Mm-hmm. Go to Walmart late at night, however, and look around, and they're there. So I think one thing that could be done, certainly prayer is is essential. It's the, the bottom line on it all. A lot of churches do pray, uh, but I think that they can be intentional to get on some IMB prayer lists and others. It doesn't have to be just IMB, but prayer lists, uh, praying for missionaries. So raising awareness that way, but also uh, doing some local 
uh, cross-cultural work, like such as starting the ESL. Uh, the guy that started the ESL at Northwest, oh my, what a story. He he was a middle-aged guy, went on a uh, trip. I think his wife cajoled him to go to Nicaragua. He went on the trip, came back, and said, uh, wow, uh, that was amazing. At the time, we were planting a Hispanic church. We said, one big need is ESL. Could you, you went down there, you you know a tiny bit of Spanish. Do you think you could start this? And he did. And then it started slow. It grew, it kind of declined, it grew, it declined. But now, I mean, it is the prime inter- local international ministry at Northwest. They have 150 people from over 20 countries every single Wednesday night come in the doors at Northwest. And it was all him. I was in charge of overseeing him. I didn't do a thing with him. He -hmm. was passionate about it. So that, that one person dropped into that small church, ask God to show you, okay, where, where are the needs cross cultural type needs? There may not be in, in certain places or towns, but certainly there is in connecting with, with other mission organizations like, like you guys, like, uh, like, you know, IMB and saying, you know, how could we be involved? Because many teams, especially in the hard to reach places, the, the UPG areas, many missionaries, they don't want a big honking team to come. I mean, you know, they want two or three people to come and do a little training on discipleship or uh, uh, evangelism or whatever it might be with a translator. Uh, so there are just a multitude of opportunities. What about, yeah, let's say you, you like, we want to, we, Maybe we look around and like there really aren't internationals or we say there are some, but we also want to go. And you do have, there's a plethora of opportunities. There's a plethora of organizations. How would you advise a missions pastor, a pastor, just the the person who has the heart for it? How do you go about evaluating and saying, hey, this is a good opportunity. This is a bad opportunity. This one is effective in the kingdom long term. How, how would you go about building those partnerships that you talk about? Yeah, I think the main thing is through relationship, you know, and you, you may not, you may be in a church that you haven't sent, the church has never sent a missionary out, uh, but maybe they know someone, you know, like I mentioned, I only knew like two missionaries <laughs> uh, when I started this journey and uh, they were because one lady in our church, this was before I was at Northwest, I was at a church in Yukon, a lady I was from Western Oklahoma, and she said, there's this missionary from Western Oklahoma, my hometown, that is in Oklahoma City area for a while. Could he come and speak at our church? He did. And then, uh, so let's say, let me do the math. 13 years later, that missionary was the one we partnered with in Taiwan. Mm. So I think the relationships are extremely important. If you don't have them yourself, you can pray and ask God to show you you know, how you can connect, maybe have relationships with others that have relationships with them. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think that that's really important. It doesn't have to exclusively be that. But I think that when I think back of the projects that we had short term, uh, and especially the multiple (laughs) short term trips were through relationships. Mm -hmm. What about evaluating? They can also... Yeah, they can also guide you. They can say, hey, you know, this is the type of needs they have. And you may have these needs like agriculture needs. That was one of the things we, we had with, like I mentioned, our church didn't have farmers. But somehow God, God connections 
uh, we were connected with a farmer guy and a uh, and a, a veterinarian type guy and all that kind of stuff and and we're able to do some things in Bosnia that were helpful, you know, with uh, more r- rural settings rather than urban. What about evaluating the strategicness of it? Because sometimes this is the sometimes I want to say, Kirk, that I'm a mission snob, you know, and I have to watch myself when someone's like, oh, I went to so such and such place and built a house. And there's a part of me that like groans inwardly. Not that God can't use that, but I feel like there's some places that are just simply more strategic, like there's there's needs everywhere, but some places are strategic. How do you, how would you advise going about evaluating that? Let's be snobs together, James, <laughs> in the same way. I think perspective certainly, you know, uh, adjusted some of my values. We already had that quite a bit, but I think it helped just kind of refine it. I think the main thing is asking the question, where's the gospel not? Mm. You know, where does the gospel need to go? Mm-hmm. Certainly it moves among people groups well. So so I think that that is one big factor, you know, where is the access to the gospel? Uh, but also then where is the receptivity to the gospel as well? I mean, the gospel may be there and there's a movement going on and uh, mm-hmm. even short-term teams or volunteers can really help facilitate the movement with uh, mm-hmm. prayer walking, finding more people of peace, some discipleship if they're further along in the movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that those are a couple of factors. You know, where where can you be most effective uh, for mm-hmm. the kingdom to advance or where it needs to be advanced and God be glorified and worshiped in those uh, areas or among those people, those people in those places. That kind of reminds me of something that's been on my mind. Oftentimes when we're mobilizing, we're dealing with people who are, are thinking about the practicalities of all this, right? So we'll say, hey, would you like to go to this unreached people group over here or and go for six weeks versus maybe one or two weeks? because uh, this is college students, they can do that. And the pushback we'll get is, well, it'd be a lot more expensive if we go there, or you know, maybe my student, less students would be interested in if it's going to be such a big commitment. You know, there could be safety concerns, so on and so forth. How much did you factor that in, and how much did you just say, you know, by faith we're gonna we're gonna go, we're gonna do it. God will take care of it. You know, was there any tension in that? Uh, yeah, I think there was always the tension. Sometimes. You know, people will look at, they'll kind of segment their their mission life from really their following of Jesus mm. <laughs> and say, okay, oh, well, I, I'm going to go do a mission trip and then come home and, and not live any kind of different lifestyle, you know, Christ-centered gospel lifestyle. So I think we, we, we offer different options as well uh, for people who couldn't go long-term necessarily. But I think the longer you can go, the better. Uh, if it's expensive, well, just another opportunity to walk by faith and raise your support. You know, <laughs> we, we always had our volunteers raise their support. And oftentimes it came in at the last minute in the least expected ways. But we required them to sacrifice as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's not like going to camp. I mean, sometimes people might relate it to that. Like, oh, well, you know, I had such a high on that mission trip or whatever. But, I mean, there's a cost involved, obviously. Every missionary in the field pays a big cost. Who paid the biggest cost? Of course, Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. So so we we said, okay. That oftentimes people say, I have no idea how I can raise the money. So we give them some tips, you know. Hey, mow yards. 
you know, I mean, we would give them all kinds of ideas, you know, have a garage sale, wash cars. I mean, whatever uh, to raise support. We, we would help some, the church would help some if, you know, they were showing, they were showing some intentionality and some sacrifice and doing the work, that kind of thing. So yeah, there's, there's always a cost involved in it. Uh, People will do what's most important to them most of the time. So I think that, you know, just raising that bar that, hey, it's important to go long term. It's important to go to these hard people. Uh, they don't have the gospel yet, especially universities being in those some of the settings that you guys have gone to. Wow. You're you really have been pioneer on the front line. And uh, it's just fantastic. You as well. Uh, yeah, we really appreciate you, you being on here. Any final words you want to give us or Brad, any final question you want to ask Kirk? No, I've been uh, charged up, encouraged by this, Kirk. So really, really grateful for your, uh, it's almost like, I want to say for your affirmation of, of what we're doing, but I know that this is about more than just that. So just encouraged to hear what you guys are doing. Well, thanks. We're, uh, my wife and I are grateful just the journey we've been on, you know, our life verses uh, that we plan our way, but the Lord directs our steps every time he's directed our steps you know it's been for the better hadn't necessarily been for the easier but it's been for the better and uh, we're just grateful by his grace we're able to be part of what he's doing of gathering worshipers globally and locally so Mm -hmm. thank you guys for having me appreciate the work that you all do yeah you as well we didn't say we didn't say that let me ask ask this so our listeners know what are you doing now you're retired quote unquote but what are you doing now in terms of the nation's I call it refocused or refired is what I did. <laughs> so, so we, uh, we left Northwest. I was acquiring too many other responsibilities that were not mission focused basically. And it just wasn't my calling. So we left Northwest about golly, six years ago, seven years ago, six years ago, we felt like, okay, we've been exposed to more of a strategic house church, simple church model to reach into the people groups of Oklahoma city, our city. And so there are 125 people groups in Oklahoma City. And so we're, we started a, uh, a small, simple church, and it's attracted uh, pretty much college graduates in their 20s who have moved to Oklahoma City to work uh, to try to reach into these people groups, uh, reproducible, simple church. And so we're loving this season, too. Uh, everyone else in there in our church is in their 20s early thirties. We're the grandparent age. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's kind of nice because we're training them really uh, by hands-on experience to be missionaries locally and then globally. Quite a few of them definitely want to go serve overseas. Actually, we've had uh, three individuals or families uh, already move, go that direction. So we're excited season we're in. That's excellent. Well, uh, I'm reminded if you're listening to this uh, Kirk's hit on it several times, but I'm just reminded of that parable. Jesus said the the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You know, it starts small. And I think that's true. If you're the first one to like get started in your church, it may not blow up in one year and you get everybody on board. But if you continue at that and, and you think about the people Kirk mentioned that started the ESL ministry or started reaching college international students and you keep pushing at that. And before you know it, It'll grow. So don't get discouraged if you're starting and it, and it doesn't feel like it's getting where you want it to go. 
continue to be faithful there. Uh, if you liked hearing Kirk's story, I had him on another podcast I used to do called the Deepwater Podcast. Uh, his episode is called Heathen Golf Pro to Disciple of All Nations. So I'll put a link to that. And I'll also put a link into the Perspectives course. If you haven't taken that, uh, it'll get a chance you can connect with somebody there, see if there's a course around you, um, or they even have online options. Although I think if you could do that in person, that would be best. Kirk, sure grateful for your ministry, your friendship, and uh, for being on our podcast today. Thanks for the invitation. We will see you all next time on the One Link Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.